Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome listeners to a special review. Today we are reviewing an independent film from Australia called Tabernacle 101. This is your co-host Corbin. And I'm Alan. Earlier in 2019, we were contacted by International Film Base to review their film. The premiere, we were invited to it. It was in Australia. There is no way we could have made it to Australia, but they did provide us with a screener to check out. And back when we were in contact with them, our schedule was just already full, too busy to uh, get to reviewing this film. But now that we have a little bit more time to breathe after the end of 2019, before Oscar season ramps up here very soon, and then we will get very busy once again, doing all kinds of coverage for that. And of course, giving you a new review every Monday for all of the great retrospectives we have planned. But we decided to bring in this uh, special review for you. And I'm going to let Alan give you some of the details about the film and the plot summary. So this movie was written, directed, produced, and edited by one person. He actually kind of reminds me of uh, Robert Rodriguez. Uh, he tends to do like pretty much everything whenever he makes a movie. Uh, so the so Tabernacle 101 is the name of this movie. He, and it is, once again, written, directed, produced, edited by Colm Omerchu. Uh, so this is not his first movie. He's actually made what looks to be four others, um, one of them being a documentary. So his very first film uh, is Elixir, which released in 2001. It's kind of hard to say what exactly it's about as IMDb doesn't have a plot. Uh, then he also, after that, he made in 2006 a documentary called Central Station Records and the History of Dance Music in Australia. And then the makeover in 2009 in dealing, dealing with Destiny in 2011, leading up to Tabernacle 101, eight years after that, for that was released in 2019. So, so yeah, that's uh, Tabernacle 101. It's, uh, yeah, as Corbin said, they got the uh, studio got in contact with us and would have liked to review this at that moment, but unfortunately, scheduling just really did not work out for us. So, Kind of, it's kind of actually pretty exciting to have two movies that are on our plate um, that are review copy or that are screener copies for us to talk about on the podcast. It's actually our first. It's pretty cool. Yes. And the other film that we are going to be reviewing that we did get a screener of, make sure to check out that review as well, is Violence Voyager, which is a Japanese film. And we do have another screener that we have been contacted about that is coming up very soon, this time with a oscar nominated star in the lead role which we're both very excited to talk about that film as well details will be forthcoming we'll make sure to keep you up to date on that but when they did send me the email they said the target audience was around 18 to 35 and the way they described it is flatliners meets ghost and for those of you who aren't familiar with either of those movies flatliners starred patrick swayze and demi moore um 
Ghosted and Flatliners starred Heather Sutherland, maybe Kevin Bacon, Julia Roberts. I haven't seen Flatliners. I know the premise of it. It was remade. I think it came out January uh, two years ago would be my guess. I believe, yeah, 2017 with Ellen Page. Yep. Okay. Remake from 1990. Uh, I heard that was awful, but I've heard the yeah. original is is pretty good for an 80s film. And I haven't seen it, but I know enough about it. As I was watching this film, all I could think of was Flatliners. And I was also getting Jacob's Ladder vibes because yeah. that's more so on the brain. We just reviewed the 2019 remake of Jacob's Ladder. So make sure to check out that review as well. But when it did release into cinemas, it was it came out August 30th, 2019. That's right. Yeah. So this sounds like it probably had a pretty small theatrical run. Um, probably we've played at a few film festivals. Oh, yeah. If I were to guess. Uh, probably didn't get a too, probably didn't get too big of a release. Um, which is to be expected. This is a small indie film, so I wouldn't. I would actually be more surprised if it released in uh, too many theaters. Actually, you know, when you when you said um, this director reminds me of Robert Rodriguez, I thought you were going to say he reminds you of Trey Edward Schultz, who wrote, directed, and edited Crescia, which we reviewed for your birthday. That's true. Yeah. That, now, Trey Results, though, is getting a lot more uh, acclaim now and is, mo I think he's with A24, like, full time. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, which is a pretty big indie studio at this point. But, yeah, I can, there is definitely a comparison there as well, I would say. Uh, having a man who I'm pretty sure he also wrote, directed, and helped, uh, did a lot of the producing for his other two movies as well, being Waves is his newest one, and it comes at night. Uh, I actually don't know if that's true. I haven't looked it up, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Well, listeners, we are going to go into spoiler territory with Tabernacle 101. If you are interested in seeing the film, it is actually available on Amazon Prime right now. If you have a subscription to that service, you can go ahead and check it out there. Um, go ahead and watch the movie. Come back and click play here on the podcast, and we'll be ready to talk about the spoilers and everything else. Tabernacle 101 opens with Uncle Frank, played by David Hove, uh, who is taking his nephew, Daniel, played by Reese Laird, on a camping trip. But it is cut short when they get spooked after seeing a shadow of a man on the outside of their tent. Sarah, Frank's girlfriend, calls him about a new experiment that she's working on. Sarah, who's also played by Ellie Hirani, now has proof or says that she has proof that the afterlife does not exist, proving this to her friends with a guinea pig as she kills it and brings it back to life a few minutes later. Frank becomes obsessed with this idea about doing it to a real human and to really prove that there actually is no afterlife and broadcasting it to the world. Meredith, played by Michaela Franco, a, who is a weird psychic woman, uh, is brought into Frank's popular show called SkepticsBus.com. As she warns Frank that about his plans to do so, um, and come to find out, she was also the one who conjured the shadow in the woods. Frank does not listen, however, and goes through with this on Halloween night, live to millions of people, and it is and it is successfully revived after an hour of being of being considered dead. However, there come some pretty bad side effects as Frank is having horrifying hallucinations and is being stalked by a man in black. He is he even seemingly experiences going to hell for a few times. He runs into Meredith who explains that he must stick close to her for protection. 
we find out that Frank not only has a demon inside of him, but also has the power of telekinesis, mind reading, and healing. He decides to make a new show, Tabernacle 101, to tell the world why he was wrong. However, not all is right with the world. Turns out, when Frank was put under, he opened up a portal between Earth and another dimension. The demons who Frank has been seeing are going to attack the Earth, starting with Sydney, by releasing a virus on the dark web that will affect everyone's electronics and knock them out as if they look at it. Frank dies once again to save the day and his nephew Daniel, but not after losing Sarah and Meredith to the devil. Luckily, Meredith is able to show herself to Frank in spirit, as she explains that Clint, Sarah's new boyfriend, who has been possessed during the climax, is now on the loose as they walk away into the sunset as credits roll. So one of the initial things that did make me curious about the plot and where they're going to go with this is our main character, Frank, is a diehard atheist. We even get that in the opening credits where he is saying people who believe in religion, essentially anything other than atheism, they're just fools believing in fairy tales. And he believes in science, so he runs the skeptics Skeptics Busters, it's akin to like Mythbusters or something, but instead of with physical like things, it's like with more so science or or religious things. And so his mission is to rid the world of that. So I was thinking, okay, this could be interesting is what kind of spirituality is he going to believe in? Is he going to come to believe in the God of Christianity or Hinduism or Buddhism or something wholly other of the kind, some occultic thing as well from from what i saw he seemed to be they seemed to be drawing more so with some hinduism because she was saying you need to find your avatar and this kind of like ball of energy and and whatnot but nevertheless it piqued my interest how are they going to tackle atheism and religion and i was also kind of surprised too i mean they bring up like there are references to a lot of religions here, like Avatar, as you said, Hinduism. Uh, there were a couple references to Christianity and, a- of course, atheism, which is like the complete opposite of all of that. However, it never really dives in too deep to any one religion. And it kind of plays, it really plays a surface game, which I actually kind of liked because it never really took its time to shove whatever religion down the audience's throat, right? It never did it in a way where it's pretty much just shoving it into the audience's face. Instead, it feels more like they are saying, yeah, here's a thing, but they never really talk about it. Now, that could be a criticism that we'll get into later, but I did like, because I've seen a lot of these kinds of movies where they have something they want to say, but then do a, just a really bad job at presenting it to the audience where it comes off as them talking down to the audience. I never really got that with this movie. They kind of keep that at bay. You could say the opposite, though, that they present atheism as a sort of religion. And I I wanted more of a reason as to why Frank is this diehard atheist. And he gives us that line to his nephew, like, I'm going to make an atheist out of you yet. All we know is that he goes around trying to disprove Uh, you know, supernatural things. That's the whole beginning of the movie is they're camping in the woods and they're like these haunted woods because the lady he meets up with later who he he comes to find an ally in, she said the spirits told her you shouldn't have camped out in those woods. That wasn't appropriate. Then you're going to anger them and definitely don't try and die and go to the other side. Um, So 
I guess I would have initially liked a bit more background as to why is our friend here so strongly against religion and wanting to prove there's no afterlife. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely with you. I do wish that they would have taken, even though, you know, they don't shove it into the audience's face. I do wish they would have explored pretty much everything that they bring up. There's a lot of things that I feel that are brought up, but are never explored. And religion is one of those things where it's brought up, but there really is no exploration, not only into the beliefs of that religion, but also our main character. Yeah, why is he an atheist? What are his reasons for being an atheist? We never really get that like an explanation as to why that's the case. And that seems to be the case, once again, for a lot of the plot elements in this story where they talk about it, but they never really dive too deep into it. And the other thing that definitely piqued my interest in the beginning is the what would happen to somebody, and once again, this is the plot of Flatliners, is if you stop your heart rate, stop yourself, and you are technically declared dead for a while, what would happen to you? Would you be pushed into heaven or sucked down to hell? And then if you're able to be revived, would you come back and be able to tell your experience? That people have claimed, they're called near-death experiences. People have claimed multiple times about experiencing those and then they come back and give reports of what heaven was like or reports of what hell was like i don't believe any of those but nevertheless people do that and i thought it was interesting that when frank does come back after an hour which in itself is unbelievable you would be dead for an hour and then revived um and they don't really explain what this serum they're working on is because they're skeptics, but they're also scientists in some some ways because they believe in science. We just get that little thing with the guinea pig. But nevertheless, I thought it was interesting. Frank comes back and he's like, well, there's absolutely nothing. But it just so happens he kind of he brings a demon into the world with them and the demon is like attached to his soul. So I think there's a probably a good cautionary tale in there about don't mess with these quasi-occultic practices because you very can likely open yourself up to kind of dark demonic forces yeah and kind of once once again like i was saying earlier i do kind of like this we're not going to explain a lot to you kind of mentality that this movie has yeah sarah is like a scientist more or less and she has made this experiment up the details of which are never really explained to us as to what happens? What is the like? What are the details? The how does this whole experiment operate? We never really get that kind of an idea, or how we never really get that explanation. And part of me kind of really enjoys that. That you know, it's just a movie. It's very sim it's very simplistic in its execution. It's just a movie about what if what would happen if a person died and came back to life, and then takes that idea and solves it in about 20, 30 minutes. And then continues to, I guess, take that idea and evolve on top of it and twist the story into really some really unique places. Now, we'll get into what places it goes to here in a second. But I will rec I will commend the director here uh, that it is an interesting story that he takes an interesting concept of, you know, what we've seen before. We've seen with flatliners. I, you could even say Pet Cemetery for that matter, of this plot of bringing something back from the dead and seeing what effect it has on that thing. Um, it takes that idea and then takes it much farther than either of those films have ever taken it. 
So I do commend the director for that as well, is uh, taking what 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 is a cliche at this point, I would say, and expanding on that. Where I begin to have issues with the film and struggle to keep my interest is, I mean, I am intrigued about what is going on with Frank because he is experiencing some very terrifying situations in that time where he is in his house and the grudge looking lady with the really wide eyes and kind of narrow pupils like leans her head over him that's that's a very unnerving scene actually a very unnerving image i thought um but i don't really know enough about the character of frank to really care about what's going on with him or or really sympathize with his plight because all i know is that he uh they, they kind of threw us into the situation too quickly, I would say, and didn't spend enough time giving any sort of like meaningful character building that the audience could relate to. And then uh, I'm I've struggled to see where the arc of the story is headed, because all I know is that he clearly comes back to this lady that he tried to disprove in the beginning. And she is shown to not be a charlatan, but in fact, she is a very powerful and in tune with the spirits. Yes, uh, I agree. There is not a lot of detail here, and I think that does impact, I would say, part of the enjoyment. Um, it's because, like you said, I don't really I don't really have much of a reason to care for our main character or Frank here, and I think it's because there is not a lot of detail to his character. There, Once again, I would have liked to have known why is Frank an atheist? Where did this all stem from? And why on earth is he have a web show where he goes around and disproves all of these things? I, I wish that they would expand on that kind of a thing. And then because they don't, I, I find it hard to relate to pretty much every character here. It's hard to relate to Frank, especially, or Meredith, because there isn't a lot of detail to them. It's kind of like they are as they are, but outside of that, shell there isn't much explained the only arc in this movie that i see is with frank and that's where he becomes a believer more or less that there is some kind of afterlife um but that happens that that realization comes in about 10 minutes into the movie and is only strengthened um about past the 20 minute mark or so after that there isn't a lot of development outside of oh well i can do these special things i can heal a man and finding out what exactly he what exactly everything that he can do that's where a lot of the movie explores but i don't think that this movie does a very good job making that very interesting i think either one of two things needed to happen maybe both and that Frank, there needed to be something in Frank's past to make him such a staunch atheist that he would have to come to terms with and possibly reconcile with at the end of the movie. How is he going to face this obstacle that he's now presented with? The other thing is there needs to, I need to feel more of a sense of immediacy because I think I'm struggling to see exactly what genre this film wants to be. At times, it wants to be a supernatural thriller, possibly a horror movie, maybe even a drama. I don't know, some exploratory type drama. I think it needs to really kind of camp down into that genre and go with it a little stronger. And then at the same time, like I said, his 
his Frank's friend, the, the lady that is the spiritualist, she says, in a few days, your soul will be uh, fully consumed by the demon. I don't really know how she knows this stuff, but I guess the thing that I didn't really like is the film does seem to give credence to kind of this occultic spirituality. Yeah, that's kind of one of the only religions or any kind of belief system that the movie explores even a little bit. And even then, it's hard to say that there isn't a lot. There really isn't a lot that they talk about uh, in this movie when it comes to the occult. Yeah, he does like learn that he can he has telekinesis and that he can read in people's minds and things like that. He can heal a guy. But outside of that, even then, there really isn't a whole lot they explore there as well. So it's it's hard. Yeah, even though I did say earlier that I like that they are kind of keeping a lot of what what a lot of movies like this tend to do, where they just take an idea and then they shove it down the throat. I like that they don't do that. At the same time, as I've been saying, still the lack of exploration of that kind of a thing uh, is detrimental to this film. So, listeners, I will be honest with you about halfway through this film. Here at Silver Screen Guide, we reserve the right. If the movie is really not holding our interest, then I only want us to really spend time on things that we think will be worth our while. I really learned this from Stephen King. I was reading Stephen King's book on writing, and he says that if you're reading a book that you love, then great. But if you're reading a book that's really not holding your interest, then move on to something else. So, like I said, about halfway through this movie, I did turn it off. And I am curious to see what Alan does think of the rest of this movie. And because of that, uh, I'll give you my rating at the very end, but it does kind of automatically warrant a not recommend for me. But I am curious to see where Alan goes with this. So I, you probably heard this in the plot summary. I also mentioned this a bit earlier where it starts off as flatliners, essentially, where... Um, the person wants to die to see what happens when they're brought back to life. They want to see what happens if there even is an afterlife, right? So they do do that. And that happens within the first like 10 minutes of the movie. It doesn't take them very long to actually do that action and then finish with it. So when they finish with that, um, that's where the movie go after is actually, it's, I guess it's really after he meets Meredith and starts hanging out with Meredith Frank. That is once him and once Meredith and Frank start like hanging out a lot, uh, a lot more. Um, and he's learning, he's learning his powers and there's a whole montage of where he's learning his powers. Then about 30 minutes or so from there to the end, um, is where the movie starts introducing concepts. And this is where I thought, or I brought up earlier where I do feel that, that despite what things they bring up, at least they're taking this idea, this Flatliners idea, core idea, and then expanding on that. And while it is there, it's only for like the first 10 minutes. And they're taking that and going way farther with it than, farther with it than you would have ever expected. I, there are a lot of things in this movie, especially here towards the end, I would never have expected to be in a movie like this. That being, you know, that these demons are going to take over the earth. These demons have the main thing that they find out. These demons are have created some kind of virus that will infect every single electronic device on the earth and will, I think, either stuns the people or kills the people. Uh, and then eventually they're going to take over the earth and take over everything that we know and love, right? That's essentially what's going to happen. Um, however, 
and I I kind of alluded to this a bit earlier. The way this movie goes about introducing this idea, kind of like with everything else that it introduces, is rather weak because they're especially with this idea of you know they're going to take over the earth by the dark web is just brought up in a line to us, and there really isn't any time taken where Meredith comes to this realization. And she's like, she notices it on Daniel's computer, but it's not like, you know, we're ever told this until she tells us what exactly is happening. And even then, there wouldn't have been much to show to us that, oh, they're planning on taking over the Earth or what have you. So I think that the way that, while I do commend this movie for having taken an idea and expanding on it wildly, I, I do think that, once again, detrimental to its overall impact it's introducing concepts, especially towards the end, that weren't really set up in the first place. And I think that that really hurts the movie there towards the end is not introducing these concepts earlier and expanding on them and then finally revealing it or dealing with that at the appropriate time. Yeah, from from what you've said there, it does sound like that the arc is missing, especially between all of the acts of the films. And I would have never guessed any of that would happen. And right. nor do, nor do I even understand how that could happen. I think what probably would have made more sense is that if they would have developed more of a technology that opens this portal to hell or something, or there's some demonic influence to begin with. So what, I mean, what, where do they land on the spiritual aspects of? in the end of the film where does that land it's doesn't really say oh. <laughs> um so what happens in the end is um so when frank dies and then comes back to life uh daniel kind of gets caught up in that right and so where the scenes that you saw daniel is kind of shut off, shut himself off from his uncle daniel from his uncle frank right and then all of a sudden, he wants Uncle Frank to come over for his birthday party. And that's where Meredith realizes that the, the demons are trying to take over the Earth via the dark web with an app, with a virus. Um, and so what happens in the end is Frank dies. He goes through that experiment with Sarah again. But that's after like the things are taken place, right? So Australia has been hit, uh, or Sydney has been hit, and it's starting to spread. And so... Frank dies, goes under, and his spirit more or less saves Daniel from the devil, and that's about it. After that, after the devil is dead, um, then the movie just kind of wraps it all up because it's he stops everything, and that's really about where it ends. Meredith does die as well, so does Sarah, but Meredith kind of comes back as like a spirit, um, mm. and she that's where she says, oh, hey, by the way... Um, Clint, who is Sarah's boyfriend at the time, or was Sarah's boyfriend before she died, he's was possessed during this climax, and now he is doing things. And there is this illusion that maybe our main character becomes whatever the light being is as well. It's kind of hard to say what exactly happens there. So it's kind of hard to say where exactly it lands too on religion. It doesn't really land in one camp or the other outside of maybe saying that uh, our main character, Frank, has reached some kind of enlightenment. Hmm. But that, once again, there isn't a lot of detail on that. They don't really explain too much, so it's, it's hard to say. So they actually kill the devil. 
I think so. Yeah, oh, if I'm wow. if I remember right. <laughs> okay, that's a bold choice. Yeah. Tell me, you didn't get mother um, mother of tears vibes with some of this movie because oh, I oh man, it has been a while since I've seen mother of tears. I can see it. I can see a few of the mother of tears. Uh, illusions here but yeah like the witches want to take over the world and oh yeah, the darkness yeah. and yeah i was getting especially towards the beginning i was getting a lot of jacob's ladder vibes oh yeah absolutely heavy heavy jacob's ladder vibes so well alan what is your rating and recommendation for tabernacle 101 i think tabernacle 101 has the right idea it's it's got a, it's got dreams of making a situation and its scope much bigger than what it initially begins as. And it's got ideas of be, starting off the story with somewhat of a cliche and then expanding that into a much bigger and or better story kinds of storytelling than what the cliche has always done. I do enjoy those aspects. However, those are pretty small aspects. I think this movie has a lot storytelling wise to work on I, and I think that's because there's just a lot of connective de- connective tissue and a lot of detail that's just absent from the story that I think would make this kind of a kind of a story more interesting I think that it doesn't really do a very good job at portraying what it wants to portray there isn't ever a time where I feel like I know what the director wants to say either as we've discussed there's not a lot of detail here and while I do like its simplicity I also have to critique it for that where there is too much simplicity. It's too simple. There are things that are there but are never explained. Religion is one of those where it brings it up. And there are allusions to certain kinds of religion like Hinduism, Christianity, and things like that. But it never really lands on anything. It never really goes into detail on any of those things. And that kind of pulls it out of realism is how much detail it doesn't have. So at the end of the day... It's not really one that I think I can really recommend. Um, I like what it's going for, but I think it's got a ways before it actually reaches something that I think would be make it a bit more unique. And so at the end of the day, three out of 10, it's not going to be recommended for me though. Tabernacle 101 does have an intriguing premise of is there life after death and can you basically... S- die and figure out what that is and then come back and then how are you going to overcome these demons what side are you going to land on i think i like that but there needed to be much more focus to the plot and it it felt very scatterbrained uh, when it came to all of these different concepts it was just a hodgepodge and as alan said the conclusions in the third act had zero setup in the first act whatsoever. Usually your arch nemesis, the, the big bad, has to make some kind of illusion or appearance within the first act and give you some kind of inkling as to their purposes. You can't just reveal it all at the end because you're going to leave your audience mostly in the dust throughout the whole film. And that's exactly how I was feeling was I wasn't seeing any strong direction or purpose as to the plot of the film or even these character arcs in general, which is the whole reason that I did turn off the film. And so whenever I do shut a movie off, it becomes an automatic four out of 10 for me, which is not recommend. 
So listeners, thank you for joining us on a review of Tabernacle 101. Like I said, it is streaming on Prime right now. So have you checked out the film and what do you think of it? I'm wondering if this will reach um, more people in the United States or if it would have more of a following over in Australia since this is an independent Australia film. I'm curious to hear your feedback, listeners. Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. All right. We do also have our other independent film review, this time a Japanese one, which I'm very excited for all of you to hear our review for that film. Uh, it's pretty unique. So we will see you next time with Violence Voyager. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.